Excuse me. Can I quit this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I told Eddie Murphy to stay in college so he'd have something to fall back on. <laughs> I did great advice. <laughs> Jackie, how about the lighter side of history? The lighter well, side. I got laughing at my joke. Okay. I know a lot of things and I share them on the podcast and you don't care. What are we talking about? With <laughs> I can't get a word in edgewise <laughs> on this show. I mean, it's. Here's how we sell it. Okay. Welcome to Stand Up Memories. I'm Jackie Martling. I am Peter Bales. And we're pretty close to the same age, even though he looks a lot older. <laughs> we had a great benefit a few nights ago for our dear friend, Bob Nelson. He's uh, having some medical issues, and they're very costly, so he has a GoFundMe page, uh, Bob Nelson, and we threw a benefit at Governor's Comedy Club. and. A lot of classic Long Island comics comics were there, and we had a great, great time. And we can't say enough to thank everybody for doing it, and we hope that maybe you'll donate. Lots of laughs, great show, seeing comics we haven't seen for a long time. Wonderful audience members from back in the day. And it was a sweet event, but it did not stop me from telling a slightly off-color <laughs> story about Bob Nelson. <laughs> Way in the beginning. It's true. There was a group called the Magnificent Seven. It was me, Richie Minervini, Jim Myers, Bob Nelson, Rob Bartlett, Bob Woods, and Dave Hawthorne. Obviously, I've said that enough times that I remember they were, nobody was Jewish and everybody was white, which was the last <laughs> time there were seven comics like that. And we worked all over any group of us, three, four, five, however, however many of us at each place. And we had a place we used to work called the Purple Onion. It was way out in Blue Point, someplace on Long Island. And the deal was everybody made $5. But the host <laughs> made $20. But on the way home, we would stop at a strip club. And the deal was the host of the show had to pay for the one round of drinks we were going to have. So at the end of the night, if you worked the show, you had $5. But if you hosted the show, it cost you $5 because the round of drinks was like 25 <laughs> Bob Nelson was so innocent, I don't know if it was the 18th birthday, his 21st <laughs> birthday, but one night we did the show and stopped at the strip show, at the strip club. I thought it was the carousel on Jericho Turnpike, maybe it wasn't, but we stopped for our one drink and it was his birthday. So I went to one of the girls and said, listen, that guy over there, it's his birthday, please do something a little special for him. So we're sitting there and the girl came over and I think in those days, they probably were in a bikini. You know, <laughs> forget about being naked. They didn't even take their tops off, I don't think. You know, they were just like dancers, you know. With tassels. With tassels. And so she came over, and I'm sure she was snuggling up to him and doing whatever. But Nelson actually had on a tie. I don't know. <laughs> I, he probably used to dress up for shows. I, I think a couple of the guys used to. <clears throat> and the girl undid his tie so nicely and pulled it out and, you know, and he's a young, innocent guy, so he's all gaga by this whole episode. The rest of us are old, grungy <laughs> college guys that have been around the block, but he's this young, innocent guy. And the dancer, 
strip or whatever you call it, took his tie and put it between her legs and she flossed herself with his tie. <laughs> and then she handed it back to no. him. And Nelson didn't know quite what to do and he said to her, will you autograph it? And the girl took the tie, put it up to her nose, <laughs> took a big whiff and handed it back and said, I already did. <laughs> I think it's a little too late to say get the children out of the room. That's for this fine, podcast. but he was, he was so, <laughs> so embarrassed. But it, it just told the tale of him, and he's just one of the sweet, sweet guys. All right, and two camera people who are going to deny they laughed at that. Laughed at that. I saw both of you laughing at that. So, but I got to ask you, was Eddie Murphy in The Magnificent Seven? Eddie Murphy was not in The Magnificent Seven. He... He did come and do gigs. Uh, he with was us, all over all the place time. in the but early days. But he took off <clears throat> so fast. He he was he used to work at a place called the Winner's Circle. He was kind of separate. But I mean, even the first night I met him, he's like, "I'm gonna be big. I'm gonna be bigger than the Beatles." And we did, we'd shut and he up was at right. Him. He was right. And like right. two years later, he was bigger than the Beatles. I like, got to tell you, I did gigs with Eddie Murphy for $40 and hopefully a cheeseburger if the cook has time in New Jersey. And we'd come back over the Throg's Neck Bridge and he would fake that he's asleep so he didn't have to chip in for the 75 cent back in those days. Uh, you know, told, the, the story, but, but he was. I, I would love to blame him for that, but he wasn't the only one that feigned being asleep. <laughs> Or we used to call it in high school, we used to call it the Midtown Tunnel Reach. When you come up the Midtown <laughs> Tunnel, it was 25 cents, and guys would pretend they couldn't get the hand in their pocket. You know? So in the, at the, in the East Side Comedy Club in the back room, Eddie took me aside. He goes, you know, I'm going to Nassau Community College, and I'm wondering if I should quit, drop out, and focus on my career. And Peter Bales gave some wise advice. Eddie, stay in school. You need something to fall back on. <laughs> I because I really wanted to help him do the right thing for his life. Well, I will, I will match you with... Uh, <laughs> I was doing my second album at the East Side, eventually called Going Ape, which in another podcast we will discuss how crazy that whole thing was. But I had the microphones hanging and I was recording for my second album. And Eddie came up to me and said, Jack, you have an album? I said, yeah, I'm doing another one tonight. You're doing a second album? I want to have an album, Jack. And I said, I'd love to help you, Eddie, but I'm too busy. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Words, words you'll never forget. But you know? Jackie, let me speak from the heart about Eddie Murphy. He has, his talent is real. We talk about shows we remember people doing, and often they're bombing shows. I went to Staten Island on one of those famous horrible one-nighters with Eddie Murphy. I forget who the other act was. And let's just be honest here. He, as an African-American, he went up closing to a Staten Island crowd that was not very welcoming to an African-American. There was silence when he went up. There was a little bit of uh, resentment or tension. And he went up. He's not famous at all. Nobody's heard of him. And he started doing his act and working as hard as he could. I saw it with my own eyes. He got him. He got him more. He got him more. He got him more. He got off. I saw it with my own eyes. 
with a standing ovation. And this is an unknown Eddie Murphy. I saw it. Don't and doubt that is not the his easiest talent. place for an African American, Staten Island. That is his talent. You might he, as well be in Alabama. You know, uh, you know and, and, and I got to, to see his talent, and he wasn't cruising on being famous. I remember he was uh, at Rascals when he was famous, and he was testing out new material. And backstage, he said to me, how do I know what's funny? They laugh at everything right, I say. Right, right. You know? He, you know what? The one thing that always annoyed me about him he got Saturday Night Live, and then he'd show up at the East Side and be, hey, Eddie, how's it going on Saturday Night Live? And I remember so distinctly him saying, it's so easy. It's so easy. You know, Saturday Night Live. Yeah. It's so easy. It's so easy. All right, I'm not, I refuse to be intimidated one more second by him. I got to tell you a story. <laughs> okay. There was a, a guy that I knew from high school that was a great, great guitar player in a band called Hot Soup. And then when we started playing, he started playing in a lot of the same places under the name Mario. And he was a singer, songer, songwriter, folk singer, whatever. And then he changed his name to MC Oso. And a lot of the places where I worked and my sister's now husband, uh, Kevin Kelly, he had a band called Savoy, Tr Savoy Truffle. And we were the off-hour rockers, and it was full circle, and we worked at the Neptune's pubs, okay. and we worked at the Right Track Inn, blah, blah, blah. And years later, MC Oso has very, very bad cancer. Mm. And he's a Cuban-American. He actually lived with me for a year in Bayville, with me and Bates and the, you know, from the band. And he just was a, a friend. He was just a nut, you know, a drinker and a pothead and so talented and so just a, a nut, photographer, and everybody loved him. You know, he, he, you wouldn't turn your, turn your head because he'd steal your wallet, but he was a great guy. And they say, listen, we've got to throw a benefit for MC Asso. And at the time, I was doing really, really well, and they said, Jackie, you got to headline. So I headlined a show at the brokerage, and all the proceeds are going to MC Oso. And he's been playing guitar forever. And the benefit was produced by his friend Mike, who was also a Cuban-American. And he had a very, very pretty girlfriend who was also a Cuban-American. And the benefit's coming up. He passes away. So we got to do this benefit. And they're going to use the money to bury him. But of course, you can't say anything. I can't go up there and say, the guy's dead. You know, I had to go up and do my act like nothing happened. So I went up and did my act, and then that was that. And I said, now, you know, MC's girlfriend, whatever her name is going to, and she came out. It was a whole tear-jerking thing about, you know, MC passed away. And this beautiful, classic, red, hollow-body, guild guitar, polished red like the day it was made in, like, 1958, and it was so beautiful. And she was like, Mike... You, you know, you were his best friend, and I know he would want you to have it. And she opened up the case and took out this stunning guitar. I, somebody's got our pictures of this. Scene. Yeah. And <clears throat> called Mike over and said, I know he would want you to have it. And she hands him the guitar. And in Spanish, 
she says, you know, said something very sweet to him in Spanish. And I mean, you could hear a pin drop, but it was like such a pregnancy. Yeah. And I leaned over and into the microphone, I said, she just said, I think you can get about 250 bucks for it. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the place went ape. It just went, but it was so necessary. You well, know, but, well, I mean, what a, but, what a, what a know, line. Sometimes, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've never had anybody come up and, and tell me they remember that. But that <laughs> what a what story. Classic story. It's amazing the stuff you remember about people who became huge when you knew them before they were huge. And this is kind of personal, but there's only one time in my life that my father came to see me perform as a stand-up. I couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle it. This is a guy from another world in another place who in his childhood remembered vaudeville. But he came to the East Side Comedy Club, and there's that little dressing room in the back, and Eddie Murphy was in there, and I was in there, and I took him in there, and I, I this will sound small, but it's just, I remember it now, and it's so huge. Eddie jumped up, shook my father's hand, called him Mr. Bales, was so nice, was so respectful, was so friendly. Um, my father afterwards remembered that, was impressed by that. And I was, I, I don't know, I just was flattered by it. It just meant a lot to me. And, you know, uh, uh, about, you know, a year and a half later, my father said to me, do you ever run into that nice young black boy? And I said, uh, Dad, he's the biggest movie star in America <laughs> right now. And actually, no, I don't run into him anymore in the back <laughs> of East Side. But thanks for asking. But... Um, you know, it's little things like that, and uh, and um, I love Eddie Murphy, and I always will. And, uh, and, uh, and it's little that's things. That's a very nice story. It's a little thing like that. Um, I'll I never love, forget. I love that. So talking about famous people, this is a uh, a fun story to to go off on. It, it's a great story, unfortunately, that has to do with a horrible, horrible event. I, I'm ready for this. This is our big finish. All now, right, do Vince, it. Vince D'Antona was a ventriloquist. He had been a ventriloquist in Vietnam, and he came home and did his act. He was full of tattoos. The little guy, the sweetest guy in the world, he passed away. He left, he left us quite a while back. But he's a great guy. And there was another guy, Steve Rizzo, who was at the backstage at the event the other night. And this is... Early 80s, way, way back. Well, obviously, you, the, the, the date is obvious. Rizzo and D'Antona had a gig like in Jersey. And on the way back, they heard on the news that they knew John Lennon had been shot. But there was a huge oh. vigil. Do you know this story? <clears throat> There's a huge vigil for John Lennon at the Dakota, and zillions of people, zillions of reporters and photographers and everything, and they're like, we gotta go. So they go and they, they're walking around and you know, there's photographers and the bulbs are going off and the people are shooting this and blah, 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 and after a while, and then they leave. <clears throat> and D'Antona lived somewhere on the island, but Rizzo lived further out on Long Island, and he taught even further out on Long Island. <clears throat> So he drops D'Antona off, 
he goes home, and then this is already late, but he's got to wake up in the morning and drive further east on Long Island to teach. And D'Antona calls up Rizzo <laughs> and says, Rizzo, we're on the front page of the Daily News. <laughs> and Rizzo is such an egomaniac that he can't sleep. <laughs> and he has to come all the way back far enough west on Long Island to where he can get a copy of the Daily News before he can turn around and go back and go all the way out to teach. But he couldn't sleep because he's so excited he's on the cover of the Daily News and he comes wakes up. He comes all the way back to where the closest place was he could get the Daily News. And he picks up the Daily News and it's an aerial shot of the and Dan told a new damn how would go all the way back. We are only scratching the surface of Vince D'Antona stories. An incredible guy, a tunnel rat in Vietnam, seriously wounded, becomes a terrific, the best technical ventriloquist and super funny I've ever seen. And I had a running joke with him. Uh, one time he asked me, so where are you this weekend? Um, oh, I'm off this weekend. And he goes, yeah, I couldn't find anything either. <laughs> <laughs> we love you for listening. Uh, and we assume you're listening, because if you're not listening, you're not hearing this. Please drop us an email, drop us anything, but tell somebody about our podcast, Stand Up Memories with Peter Bales and Jackie Marling. Say goodnight, Dick. Good night, Dick. Hey, a new episode of Stand Up Memories every Wednesday. How exciting is that? It's starring me, Peter Bales, and right here, Jackie the Joke Man Martin. Please follow us on social media. Search it out. What is it? MeSpace? MySpace? Your space? TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Do da, do da. <laughs> <laughs>